Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Hello, podcast family, and welcome back to The Back Pain Podcast. Now, today's episode is based around a question that we get asked all the time, and that is, is my back pain coming from my hip? Many people who have had pain or have pain in their backs are often worried that their hips are the cause or the source of the pain. So we reached out on your behalf to the expert on all of all things hips, and that is specialist physiotherapist Mehmet Jem. He tells us exactly what signs you should be looking out for to tell you if, if your hips are responsible for pain, including where you'd be feeling the pain, be that in the back, the groin, or the side of the hip, what exactly it would feel like, and how it would present. He also covers some common hip conditions, some exercises for pain, and as well as our favourite, he busts some commonly held myths around hips. Moment was brilliant, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode just as much as we did. In other news, this is episode 52, which means we are one year old. It's been a great journey that we both have thoroughly enjoyed, and in celebration of our first birthday, we have a brand new shiny website. So if you head on over to thebackpainpodcast.com, you'll find out everything about the show, including blog posts, previous episodes, and our special feature, our Backpain Podcast approved provider map. This means that if you are suffering with pain and want to find someone to help, be that a physiotherapist, a doctor, a chiropractor, an osteopath, or a surgeon, you can simply pop in your address into the search bar and find someone tried and trusted local to you. Everyone on this list has been vetted and has our seal of approval to ensure that you have the best care possible. As always, if you like what we do, the best compliment you can pay us is to share this with someone. Be that with a friend, a family member, a colleague, or even a patient who needs to hear this information. And if you really like what you what we do, then you can head on over to that brand new website, go down to the bottom of the homepage, and click on the Buy Us A Coffee link. As Dave said, it is basically the only fans but for lattes, and it keeps us caffeinated and ready for the next show. But that's it from me. For now, I'll leave you to sit back and enjoy the latest episode. Now, if you ask 10 people on the street to point to their hip, I reckon you'd get 10 different answers. Everyone would point to a slightly different place. Mehmet, before we start this episode, can you tell us what are we talking about and where are we talking about when we say hip? Great question to start with. I guess, obviously, just the first, firstly, thank you for obviously having me on the on the podcast. As it's a very great uh, invitation, so very kind of pleased to speak to you guys. And um, also, thank you to my wife. For um, getting me out of her hair for an hour on a bank holiday Monday. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, two. <laughs> uh, and equally so, she appreciates it far greater. Um, so, yeah, it's a really valid point. And um, it just comes back down to a very simple thing, which is communication, really, isn't it? And it just highlights the fact that how important that is with these kind of patients. And um, look, for me, obviously, the hip is the hip. For, for everyone else, it, you know, patients in particular, it varies, doesn't it? And I think that's really important and something that has, has probably challenged a lot of clinicians recently in the last year with kind of moving on to the virtual consultations and, and telehealth because actually so much of those bits of info about what is their pain and where is their pain comes from not just what they're telling us, but, you know, where they're pointing to. A lot of the time these patients will 
coming in to be giving us this information before we've even asked them. You know, we don't even sometimes even ask what side it is because they're rubbing it, they're pointing to it, they're touching it, they're holding it. You know, equally a bit awkward when it is the, the hip and the groin and they're rubbing the groin, but ultimately that's the information they're giving us. Now, for, for, for the population, though, they could be, like, like you said, they could be pointing to their, to their buttock, they could be pointing to their SIJ, they could be perhaps pointing to the lateral hip, and all of those things could encompass hip pain. But is it the hip? You know, that's what we need to, as clinicians, try to whittle, whittle down, really. And that comes down to the, the questions that we ask them uh, and being so specific with those questions that they can actually, in a way, also identify, actually, you know what, well, yeah, I said it's the hip, but actually it's a bit, a bit of the lower back, it's a bit of the buttock, and then it comes round into the groin. Um, and that usually comes down after the conversation progresses a little bit. For me, the hip joint is very unique in the sense that it will present with groin and then it will present with, you know, some buttock pains or if it is the joint itself. Um, and then different pathologies will present in slightly different ways. Obviously, we'll, we'll probably touch on that as we go into the, the conversation and, and different pathologies as well. So if it's the, the, the hip joint, and by that we mean that, that ball and socket joint, you know, if, if it's a problem with that joint, as you said, will it typically then be the front, so the groin area that will be the, the primary area of pain? Yeah, and look, I think, you, you know, what, what, what musculoskeletal medicine is like, we'll go around in circles saying it's mostly this, but also it's this. And I think, you know, we could, we'd end up doing that all day otherwise. I think let's say what we see in clinic. Let's, let's talk about what we see commonly, what the research cites as a common site, and that's commonly groin and anterior hip pain, which we would normally associate hip joint-related pathologies to. The, obviously, the caveat is that sometimes it can present in the buttock, and there are other causes of that that can cause, you know, the case elsewhere, pain elsewhere. But yeah, commonly so, it's that kind of very specific groin pain, very specific anterior hip pain um, that will, you know, be presenting with a multitude of different signs and, and symptoms, really. No, exactly, and that totally makes sense. And, and it, you know, it's and this is, I'm sure, patients listening to this can understand that you know it, it can be very confusing as well, also, also for us, you know, because there is so much different terminology that gets thrown around with hip, buttock, back, you know, all these, you know, pelvis, all these phrases get kind of grouped together, and they don't really, in the general patient lexicon, have a clear cut, you know, this is pelvis, this is hip, this is back, this is you know sacrum, whatever it might be. You know, they get these terms get thrown around because they're mentioned on Daily Mail articles and on Facebook pages and, and all those things. So can can the hip joint or you know in around the areas in around the hip give rise to actual back pain then? So do you ever see people that have actually got a problem with the hip and they actually have, you know, in, in your and my language, back pain? So that might be kind of lower or top of the buttocks, you know, and kind of up from there. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um for a number of different pathologies, really, and in a way with different hip pathologies will come different issues and presentations around the pelvis and the lower back. So, for example, you know, we know that those who have, you know, mild to, to you know, more progressive away of the hip, we will commonly see those as healthcare practitioners with very unique presentations of their gait, their movement patterns, because this is a very slow, progressive, pathological you know disease and, and process really and with that comes very slow and progressive habitual changes into that individual's mechanics how they move how they in a way trying to modify the way that they move in regards due to the pain that they get in 
you know, with that then comes altered biomechanics, altered patterns of movement. And more commonly with those who have hip away, that would come with that very unique gait that we see, you know, that kind of bum out, you know, not really loading that side too much, difficulty, you know, essentially walking because of the altered range of movement and essentially the pain that the hip is in. And then that would obviously cause some, some issues in the back. So putting aside the fact that these patients may well be presenting with degenerative process in the hip alongside a degenerative process in their lower back, you know, at the same time. But actually, the back might be a secondary cause of, of the issue as a result of these kind of altered mechanics in the hip and the way that they're moving as a result. Equally so, you know, we have our patients who have like lateral hip pain, you know, greater trephanteric pain syndrome, who may not have an arthritic hip, but equally so will have just as altered, you know, movement patterns and, and daily functional, you know, abilities which as a result would then cause them to walk differently, move differently. And as a result, these adaptations that they've acquired cause their backs to become, you could, you know, in a nutshell, say overworked or overloaded. And in turn will cause the back to be painful as well. And we could kind of categorize that as, you know, lower back or even kind of around that SIJ region. Um, and that's really something that commonly that I would see in practice. And it's difficult, I guess, for these patients because they are, I guess, unsure sometimes what's coming first. Is it the back? Is it the hip? Is it the hip that's causing the back? Is it the same thing? And, and you know, they'll articulate that really, really obviously to us as well. You know, they won't really know. And we'll ask them the questions. You know, we'll say, well, you know, Bob, did your back come first? Did your back get worse with your hip? Like, And we try and, you know, extract this information from them. And some of them are good at telling us that. And Sometimes they're not, you know, we've all been in those situations where we're trying to kind of get that information from our patients so then we can try and give them the best and accurate kind of rehab program. But it's hard for them, you know, because it's not always a, it's not like a, you know, an injury where they've twisted it and then they've hurt their ankle and then the knee is hurt afterwards as a result because they've been limping, limping or something like that. It's just something that they've not really noticed until it's really gradually crept up on them and before long, you know, they're telling us, well, actually, I can't even remember when it started. I think it's a year, two years. I'm not really sure. I just know that it all hurt and I need you to fix me, you know. And these are kind of like tricky situations that we're in, really. With the more, I say, less kind of, think, talk about the younger demographic, potentially, you know, the, the younger kind of potential injuries that we, we, we would see, like, for example, FAI, or even those of, you know, adductor related groin pain, you know, things that you would tend to see the more active population um the kind of correlation isn't necessarily as kind of evident in comparison to those that we've just discussed previously so it's not as easy to say oh you know the hip pain will definitely cause the back pain because obviously it would vary depending on the pathology but yes for certain for those who have had a bit more of a longer experience with the pathology we need to be mindful of the back being a role uh with it with their pain presentation and just kind of on that point as well the difficulty as well was not ignoring the back um because sometimes patients will either come to us as a first port of call or having seen a clinician previously complaining of hip pain you know very evident hip pain buttock pain groin pain lateral hip pain with those back symptoms that i've mentioned as well and and it's very easy to sometimes fall into that pattern of thinking well you know it sounds like the hip it must be the hip we're, we're actually we need to be do, doing the simple thing first and making sure that the patient's hip pain isn't coming from the back and the back isn't the primary source of those symptoms. Because a lot of the time, those who haven't necessarily responded too well might um, 
might have kind of fallen into that kind of so yeah there is some link for sure some link for sure yeah and and that, you know that makes it sound you know understandably very then difficult for us as clinicians for patients because it's there there is such a mixed message so then you know to give patients some confidence if anyone's listening to this and they're thinking oh i'm in this situation where i've got some pain around my hip i've got some pain in my lower back can you know you as a hip expert or any clinician you know are there special tests which then people can do or does it come out from just are there any questions specifically which you ask people that you can then easily differentiate or you know kind of give you more of a guided idea of you know oh actually this is more likely a, a hip pathology or a hip problem which I know we'll go into a few more specifics about them in a moment but you know are there you know what's your line into it yeah certainly and I would say that arguably our subjective questioning is as a clinician, our strongest tool, you know, and I, I'm a strong believer in that. I feel like if we can, can get all of the information and ask the right questions and have a sound understanding as to what it is that we're asking our patients and what information it is that we're trying to kind of get from them, that's going to be far use, far more use to you down the line when you're assessing them further physically. But we can't jump into these physical tests because sometimes they're, you know, relatively underwhelming. They're not kind of the... The, the, the pinnacle of being able to get a clear diagnostic picture. But what they do do is enable us to rule things out to some extent. Now, if we've got someone who walks, let's say, walks into our clinic room uh, with, with hip pain and, and lower back pain, and as a clinician, you're thinking, right, how am I going to be able to try to deduce whether this is someone's hip or whether it's their, their lower back? Well, there are a few things that would be relatively unique from one to the other and you know talking about hips in particular if we're thinking someone might have an arthritic hip we would be asking them like quite specific questions like we would do with most arthritic points anyway you know is it worth within activity is it worth first thing in the morning is it you know, does the joint feel stiffer have you had a reduced range of movement etc with the functional task and, and that can then present with difficulties with things like getting in and out of the car putting their shoes and socks on that kind of rotational type movement is very evident in those with hip arthritis that you wouldn't necessarily associate to someone who had let's you know coin the term you know symptomatic degenerative back pain or you know spondylitic back pain which was causing their symptoms because that's a very specific and mechanical movement that would be provoking their provoking their symptoms that's more isolated to the hip if they were kind of able to do those movements and they were saying to me, you know, what moment actually I could put my shoes and socks on, getting in and out of the car is fine, even getting out of bed in the morning is not too much of a problem. But then for me, I'm thinking, well, obviously I know that that's only going to be as accurate as possible. Like, you know, these questions aren't going to be 100% for everyone who has hip OA. But I know that actually, if we're thinking about what hip OA is a pathology, well, what does it do to the joint? Well, it reduces range of movement into notably the rotational axis and also abduction. So if hip away is there and that is the thing that's causing their, their symptoms, well, if they've not got those kind of effects of, you know, an impact onto their activities of daily living, well, we need to then think about all the other potential causes. And that's obviously like we're talking about the lower back. So then we could ask them, you know, have you had any loss of range to your lower back? And then, you know, have they had any issues functionally? Talking about the aggravating factors, obviously, a bit more specific to that, um, and then that will help guide our physical examination a little bit easier into the tools that we would be able to utilise to help rule out, let's say, for example, if it was a lower back issue, using kind of a combination of tests into extension, rotation, uh, and equally at the same time, not forgetting to rule out all those kind of neuropathic elements. So, 
you know, when you look at the evidence for things like, you know, stump tests and straight leg ray tests and all those kind of like neural provocation tests, you know, they're not 100% specific. We can't say that, oh, you know, if you did this test um, and it was painful, it's 100% coming from your lumbar spine disc. You know, we don't have those tools that are, uh, it'd be lovely if we did. But it just kind of highlights the importance of why we need to ask those kind of subtle questions, those subjective questions, because that will help differentiate our, our understanding better, you know. Um, does that kind of answer your question? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think that's also answered a, or made touched on a really important point for sufferers, whether that's hip or back pain, is that, you know, these tests that, that we do and, you know, that they're only as good, you know, or they're not that brilliant. You know, there's no one test to diagnose everything. There's not like, oh, you do this one test and that means you've got sciatica or you've got a, you know, a, a nerve problem or you've got a hip problem or you've got a back problem. It's a combination of that history. And when we're sat there talking to you, asking those questions and going into detail, you know, there's a method behind the madness when it comes to the all these questions that we're throwing at you. And then those those tests that we do then just help kind of confirm our suspicions as opposed to, we're just having a chat to get to know you and then we're going to do some tests to find out what's wrong with you you know which i know a lot of people think yeah, and it's i think it's i think it's a really important point to uh to, to kind of make clear that yeah that, that, that history is important and the tests are yeah are, are good in some cases but they're not that brilliant in in, in all cases yeah yeah definitely and i think so just just to kind of touch, touch on that point as well the difficulty is that obviously patients the patients that we see are a particular group of people who have come because they're seeking help. You know, I guess the question is, are there people with the same kind of pathology, with the same severity that are just managing on their own because maybe they're more resilient or maybe they're able to just tolerate what they're going through? They haven't kind of thought, oh, I want to seek help or I want to see a physio or a chiro or an osteo. Which then leads the question, well, are the people that are coming to see us seeking help because they need that guidance and they need that reassurance and they need that kind of ability to build their resilience so they can kind of manage their symptoms day to day, be it with treatment or kind of with self-management. Now, if we don't have an understanding as to what they can't do, because, yeah, we're asking questions like, all right, can you get out of bed? Can you put your shoes and socks on? Get in and out of the car. You know, yeah, it's, that's important to know because it's very specific for that pathology. But equally, I want to know what are they struggling to do that and what kind of impact is that having on their life and then that is a whole other conversation that you can have with that patient and that's really important because sometimes what happens with hips and not so much with that but I guess when we're kind of talking about both things together it's very easy for us to fall into a picture of these are the symptoms these are the tests these are what we'll do and then you fall into very kind of methodical but like very fine medical framework of trying to assess someone's hip joint rather than kind of busting well you know what yeah the back is probably painful as a result of the hip what impact is that having on that person's life what can we do treatment wise that's not going to just be injections and hip replacements and surgery and you know all the kind of like quick fixes that sometimes patients do want um but you know i, I think that's where where treatment probably falls short a little bit anyway I think as well, for anyone listening who has uh, gone and um, watched a video, uh, there's quite a lot out on YouTube, Instagram, that sort of stuff at the moment, which is, you know, uh, three tests to see if you've got back pain or hip pain, or it's a self-diagnostic test to do at home. I can almost guarantee, you know, if it says the test to see if you've got back pain or hip pain, as we've just discussed, it it could not be, um, uh, it couldn't be right. And also, 
because the therapist is doing a selection, a cluster of different tests to diagnose you, it's not as simple as one easy fix or one easy find. Luke did a uh, use a fantastic term the other day when we interviewed him on the um, uh, what's the name of his podcast, Rob? Different for diagnosis of back pain. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the, the DDX podcast. So um, he used the term "messy humans." Now, at the same time as each test not being one hundred percent specific, um, uh, some humans, due to their anatomical variances, aren't always going to respond in the correct invert uh, in a um, uh, little bunnies there inverted commas the correct manner. So because of your anatomical different hip it might be that you can do that test without any problem but you do still have some hip OA so it's not as simple as a quick fix YouTube video a quick you know 30 second find um, it does need to be this, this collection this cluster this uh, detective work in the background sometimes unfortunately guys yeah. Again, no quick fixes. I'm sorry. I know. It's always like we you know, spend a lot of time learning this stuff to, uh, to, to understand it, not just to put it on uh, on Instagram. But uh, we, all, we all do that. <laughs> but I know we've all, we've all been there. We all uh, wish there was plenty of quick fixes, but unfortunately, there isn't always. And I think that's, again, another important tip. We'd have loads more time in the day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, and look, you know, a very, very key example of that, you know, would be for someone who has other, you know, for example, a ballet dancer or a dancer or someone who's got a far different hip profile to me as, you know, what feels, I feel like I now have middle-aged bald man's hips and, you know, they're <laughs> stiff and they barely move. But, you know, if someone who was in my demographic had arthritic changes similar to someone who maybe was a ballet dancer or has other kind of, you know, potential kind of increased mobility from, you know, in comparison to how my demographic would be, well, actually, those tests, like you said, might actually for them not, not work you know they might have those arthritic changes but actually the hip profile might be so different that actually the mobility and the, the range of movement wouldn't necessarily be as reduced as you would expect for you know joe Grog coming off the street who has hip ache for example so you know those um, those facets are really important to be mindful of definitely yeah we, we can all do tests on someone and you know check a hip range of motion and for them that's normal but for the person you saw five minutes ago that would imply they've got a 75 degree, uh, you know, less compared to that compared to that second person, mm -hmm. you know, so there is a huge variance or, you know, normal variance, just because you're a bit tight, you're a bit stiff, or you've got loads of mobility doesn't mean there's a problem. You know, it's, uh, and I think that's another, mm -hmm. another important point. Now, you, you touched on, uh, you know, a few different conditions there, you know, we talked about osteoarthritis, and we talked about that kind of, you know, greater trochanteric pain syndrome and FAI. And those are a lot of kind of terms that some people may have no idea what they are. Some people may have had them and some people may be familiar, but aren't quite sure. So can we go into a little bit more detail into those three and then maybe in any other conditions which you, you know, see regularly or, or more commonly on a daily basis as a, as a specialist hip physio? You know, we can start with, yeah, with OA, yeah. osteoarthritis, so arthritis, osteoarthritis, yeah, lots yeah. of terms for that. Yeah, I mean, for, exactly. Yeah. So for, for anyone who's listening who isn't you know a, a healthcare professional or, or you know in the medical field so oa is an abbreviated term that we would use for osteoarthritis which is essentially the kind of arthritis that you would say my nan had you know there, there are different types of degenerative processes that can present in the joint but arthritis itself is one of the most common causes of hip pain in the adult population and, and that will kind of like extrapolate similarly to, to other joints in the lower limb in particular, the knee as well. Um, it's a process that can then cause a reduction in range of movement, but more importantly, you know, it causes patients a lot of pain in and around the hip. And more like what we alluded to earlier, it's a very specific presentation in and around the groin, quite sharp catching pain, um, has, a, has a very slow and gradual process 
in regards to how the pain presents. And as a result, you know, it, it has an impact on daily living quite specifically, like we mentioned earlier with the functional tasks, but also um, on the mental health side of things as well. Patients, you know, general population tends to find a significant impact into activity levels, you know, sexual function in the young, younger demographic who have an earlier onset of OA, sporting activity, you know, general mental well-being can be really significantly impacted by what's commonly associated as a very physical, you know, common um, ailment in the hip. Um, FAI is slightly different. So it's still the hip joint. The, the medical term is femoroacetabular hip impingement. Uh, sorry, fem yeah, femoroacetabular um, impingement, but more commonly known as hip impingement, which is essentially where there's a bit of a bony lump or bony bump on uh, the thigh bone that essentially causes some increased contact um, on the soft tissue what's called the labrum which is essentially the lining of the of the hip joint which makes up part of the cartilage, cartilage layer um, and that tends to be in a younger population um, which you know say between the ages of 20 to 40 or so it's quite an active young demographic uh, and that although can present in a similar way patients um, tend to kind of report this kind of groin tightness so a bit of a groin strain you know so it's, um, it's not as evident in regards to specific significant loss in range of movement, but patients do note that you know the movements that they find difficult are quite similar to those who have hip hypoe because obviously it's the same same joint, same structure. Um, so they tend to present with clicking, catching the hips, and kind of feel like it wants to give way now and again. Um, and as a result, those patients then find that they can't do their sport. So like we mentioned, with those with hip hypoe, they can't you know do daily things day to day without pain and it's quite severe pain so do the hip F, you know hip impingement or uh, FAI syndrome tend to find that sporting levels uh, sporting activity uh, is quite impeded as well and as a result obviously that's when they pretty much come in to see us in clinics trying to get an idea as to, as to what is going on really there's a lot of things that you'll see with FAI no doubt in you know on YouTube people will start looking it up hip impingement and googling it and Instagram and unfortunately there's still quite a lot of um, I guess misinformation out there, a lack of understanding as to kind of what the pathology is, and yes, you know, it is it is important to get treated. You know, from a hip preservation perspective, this is a pathology that the one thing that we do know is it's linked in the long term with the hip away that I spoke to earlier. So although they are two separate, you know, we could say like just injuries or hip issues, there is some link between the two. Um, so, you know, you do need to, if you suspect that, you know, you have hip impingement or symptoms like that, um, doesn't mean that, oh, you're going to get hip away. You know, that's not that, that's not what we mean. It just means that it'll be good to get an understanding of what is going on within the hip joint and what it is that you've got to do going forward. Um, the third one, now GTPS, that or greater trochanteric pain syndrome, uh, this is what everyone tends to refer to as bursitis of the hip. So the general population, if they've, not spoken to a physio or just looked something up or even just spoken to a friend of a friend from the hairdressers whose mum had hip pain or something like that, you tend to hear the term hip bursitis thrown around quite a lot. Now, GTPS is an abbreviated term that essentially encompasses lateral hip pain or pain around the, the greater trochanter, which is the, the bony bit that sticks out the side of the hip and essentially what makes up that GT um, part of the, the abbreviated term GTPS. Um, now that will present in a very specific demographic. So these tend to be in women as a high greater prevalence of that four to one ratio in, in a female population. 
Um, and age plays a very specific role with this as well. Very similar to where FAI tends to be commonly in a younger demographic, in OA, what we would commonly see in an older demographic, um, GTPS tends to be in those who are around, like, you know, the age of menopause, for example, because that hormonal status is really important uh, just to be mindful of. It's an impact of what that can have. And the pain essentially comes from the, the glute tendons, the, the tendons that attach onto that bony bit on the side of the hip. And, Unfortunately, as a result, you know, those, that inflammation or irritation around the tendons and the sides of the hips can then cause pain with function. You know, all the, 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 the thing, guys, you know, the three different pathologies, you know, three different entities in their cells, three different demographics, but the, ultimately, at the heart of it, people struggle to do things day to day. And that's, you know, this is a real kind of something that I'm passionate about. And I'm, I'm aware that you haven't even had a chance to talk for the last five minutes because I haven't stopped talking. But I'm going to keep going with it until you boot me off or put me on mute because there's a couple of things that I wanted to touch on. Now, my obviously passion around treating hips and seeing hips comes from the, this specific difficulty that you know we have. You know, we have three different pathologies that we've just mentioned there, all of which in some way have an you know interchangeable you know link between them two, and that's essentially the impact that will have on the patient's life and function, whichever way it is. Now. For someone who's listening, who isn't medically trained, who's thinking, oh, you know what? I, I thought I had hip OA, or I thought I had those kind of symptoms. But now I'm talking about this other thing on the side of the hip, and I feel like I've probably got that as well. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have both. Well, equally, you might have both, and one of them might not even matter. And what I mean by that is you can have GTPS, or this kind of gluteal tendon issue on the side of the hip, and you would never know about it. And what I mean by that is you can go and have a scan, and the scan potentially will say that there's a bit of tendonitis there, and you might not even ever have had pain there. Well, equally so, you can go and have an X-ray for some for one hip, and it could show arthritic change, or what the kind of scan shows as arthritis on the other hip, and never have any pain. So, you know, it's it's important for us to be mindful of what we're dealing with, but equally so to be mindful that we don't label these patients so quickly, because actually, albeit it might be coming from a good good place and you know you know i'm a strong believer that we do need to have a strong clinical reasoning model in place and try and diagnose things as best as we can do but sometimes patients take that and do run with it as well so we just need to be mindful how these things all can kind of coexist as well and sometimes be there and not cause any pain I'll stop talking for a minute so you guys can probably ask me a question. I'm sending it turning into a monologue by Mehmet at the moment. I, know, I, I, like, I like it. I like it. That's, that's, that's what we like. <laughs> we can sit back and actually learn, which is, uh, you know, one of the reasons we, we started this podcast. So I think, that, you know, as you just said, that that kind of specifically that bit about imaging the hips and or and, and this could go for any joint in the body as well, but imaging the hips and you can have, you know, a painful left hip and you go have an X-ray and the, the report or the radiologist or the doctor, whoever you're seeing says, yeah, there's some some severe arthritic changes in that left hip, you know, and that's the cause of the pain. And then also some people often have an x-ray of the right hip at the same time and have the same changes, but no pain. Would you have any advice for someone that has that on a scan in front of them and they're thinking, oh God, you know, my right hip's obviously going to be painful at some point, or, or I'm going to have to have that one replaced just like the left one, even though at the moment I don't have any pain, but you know, according to that x-ray, it looks the same, you know, I can understand then, you know, that's a bit of a, uh, you know, bit of a conundrum to kind of get your head around oh completely look if i'll be i'll be very frank with you if it was my patient i would just be telling them chill out don't stress about it like why like worry about other stuff like don't worry about what a scan is showing you worry about what i'm telling you because you know that's 
where it's easier to be able to send a scan. I Because like, the thing is, let's take a step back. There's this mess, massive kind of uproar with sending for imaging or imaging this or over-imaging, which that's not the case. But like, the problem is people being sent for imaging and those images being interpreted and sent back to them by the wrong person. That's where the pitfall is. All right, it's not the images themselves. You know, the radiographers, the radiologists, they don't see that well, they're just in a bit of paper. So they're going to say, well, actually, I have to say everything that's done in front of me. They, they, they need to kind of feed that back to us. Now, if that scan is coming back to me and I have it in front of me that actually, you know, the, the hit that I thought was the worst hit actually on paper isn't, I don't hide that from the patient. I'm not going to like, lie to them and be like, actually, you know what, you know, Bob, your, your other hit's fine. It's, it's as good as it can be. You've got to be transparent and say, actually, you know what, there's arthritis on that hip that you've got pain in. There's equally some signs of arthritis on the other hip where you have no pain at all. Don't worry about it. Like, don't worry. Like, it's not, it doesn't, it does not mean, and we cannot predict that, oh, your hip is definitely going to be painful in five years or in 10 years. We don't know that. You know, the imaging findings that we've just seen now in front of us might have been there if I stepped in for an X-ray five years ago, you know, and it's no different to what it is now. All you've got to do is focus on this hip that's painful now. Just do as much as you can do to focus on getting you better from that aspect. If your other hip hurts in the future, so what? We'll treat that one as well, and then we'll get that one better as well. You know, our patients, these patients in particular, need a whole heap of empowerment and reassurance, so much so that sometimes you need to go overboard. Not overboard to the sense that actually we're kind of selling them false hope, because that's what I mean, you have to be transparent. But equally so, like we need to be very confident in the way that we portray this stuff to our patients and also make them feel very confident in what the things that they in the things that they can do. Because as soon as you've got someone with hip pain or back pain or kind of both you send them for a scan and then all of a sudden you've got arthritis of the hip and that hip, you've got spondylitis changes on the on that side and the lower back and then you're thinking, shit, now actually I've shot myself in the foot because now I've actually got two things that are almost like proven to be able to cause their symptoms now, what do I do? Well, actually, you just have to show the patient, look, this is what's in front of us, this is what we're going to deal with, this is why you've come to see me, essentially. What we've got now is some more information that will allow me to get a better clinical picture of what I think your symptoms are and what I think your presentation is. Not that, oh, actually, you know what, you've got arthritis of the hip, I'll send you for a, for a hip replacement, or I'll send you for an injection to your back and see you later. Because actually that, that's where the downfall is, really. Hmm. That's so important. You are not your scan. You know, it's that the interpretation of a scan results with your symptoms, with your function, with, you know, the medical history that we've taken, with your, your own personal medical history as well, all, all together make a pattern and make a picture which then we interpret and then use that to enable you to improve your function and so it's not a you know a scan is not a death sentence i'm so glad you said that because it's something we've discussed as well before it's not it's not the scan the scan is not the problem you know we could scan if you never gave anyone the results for a scan they wouldn't get wouldn't necessarily get worse it's the interpretation of the results that you know and poor clinicians saying oh well, actually, this this other hip looks pretty bad too. I'm probably going to see you in five years' time for another hip replacement. You know that is it, it's poor messaging and it's mm. and it's bad advice. Yeah. You know, given to people, and that's especially when you know when people go and see a medical professional, 
it's nerve wracking. You know, they're nervous. They might have never seen a doctor before. You know, it's a, and especially something like the hip and the lower back, they're often quite intimate questions being asked, quite intimate areas being examined. And people have to undress, change down. It can be very nerve wracking. And I think we as clinicians overlook that very much. You know, a lot of us do because it's totally normal for us. You know, we do this 10, 15, 20, 30 times a day. And we've been doing this for 15 years. So it's a very normal process for us to go through. But, you know, and then as soon as people are in a fearful state and then we start using this negative narrative and this language, just makes things a whole lot worse. And, you know, so I'm glad that we yeah. t- use this episode to touch on that as well. So thank you for, for, for discussing that as well, actually. It's a really important point. No, it's, it's, no, it's, no, it's no problem. It's no problem. I mean, I don't know, kind of like, well, just, just to kind of very, very, very quickly just touch on that point. Obviously, based on the, the kind of topic that we're talking about and the patient that we've, you know, hypothetically discussed a couple of times on and off, for those who are listening, who, who like I said, just for general public, general public who might have hip pain or back pain and may well have had both of those things scanned and have been actually in that position that we've just discussed now you know their question might be all right well what do i do now then because all i know is actually the gp said to me that i've got a fright for the hip i've got these kind of arthritic changes in the back as well and my physio hasn't been helping all that the osteo or whatever treatment i have hasn't been helping what do i do now because i just presume i've got to live with it but actually the, the answer to that is well we need to confirm further that your diagnosis is correct because if you've been told that your pain is coming from your hip and all you've had is these two scans and your hip pain hasn't got better then well one we have to kind of 100% confirm it is coming from your hip whether that's with kind of orthopedic review diagnostic injections or anything like that to give us a far better clinical picture and then to decide what to do going from there on so the thing that I hate is when patients are told oh I've got to live with it or when patients even tell me, oh, I was just kind of managing with it. Because ultimately, life is not there to be lived with pain, you know. And when you are in pain, we need to try and figure out why that is. And to the best of our ability, help. And that's not obviously a simple answer. That's a simple answer to a complex issue. But it's equally shows that just demonstrates why patients are passionate to help them and our desire to help them. So, yeah, just kind of for anyone listening that's kind of feeling that they're at a dead end, um, don't, don't settle. Nice. So for people listening then, again, if you use that hypothetical patient again, I know we've mentioned about, you know, Mrs. Smith a a couple of times, if we give her a name, uh, and she's been told that there's nothing that she can do for her arthritis in her hip, Uh, you know, and she's got it for life and, you know, that's it. And she'll probably end up having hip replacement at some point, but it's not bad enough now. You know, that typical patient we've probably all seen a few times. What, you know, are, are there... Can she get better? You know, is there, you know, can she improve her function, her range of motion, her pain? You know, what can she do then to help herself and, and you can do to help her improve her pain and her function? Well, she can get better, but it depends who she goes to see, first and foremost. I mean, <laughs> if she goes to a dodgy physio or a dodgy chiro, probably not. But let's, um, let's be honest, let's be honest. Look, the life, the, the world isn't like that, you know. Like, we, we would hope that she went to someone who was evidence-based, knew, knew the research and, was passionate like you guys were and, and, and we would get better like that but you know it's not always the case but let's say we go down the line of t- trying to treat someone with hip arthritis in order to try and resolve their hip pain and their back pain it's not especially for those who have got let's say severe arthritis as a hip it's very difficult like you're not going to improve range of movement in a hip that is like in like quotation marks degenerative or has like symptoms as a result of like arthritic changes. That's not realistic, you know. And the difficulty is sometimes patients are given or even try to 
suggests um, kind of exercises or rehab to try and improve range in somehow in a hope that that will help with their symptoms. And that's just impossible. You know, these are morphological, skeletal, kind of bony changes that have adapted over a period of time that we're not going to be able to work around. We need to kind of work with. Now, the caveat to that is for those who have both back pain and hip pain, the one thing that we do know from the research is for those who have had arthritic hips, and, you know, let's just we'll say that they are confirmed hip OA patients and have had hip replacements, a very close correlation with that with a significant improvement in back pain as well as a result of that. And that could have that could be a result of the patient not being in pain, the kind of like sensitization perspective, that kind of element is has decided it could be the fact that they've had decent physio, decent rehab and all those bad habits that we spoke about before have been kind of put to bed and now they're walking better, now the back is moving better as a result, so their back symptoms have settled. But we know there is a direct link between that. We also know that there's a correlation for those who are being treated for the hip OA and the back pain hasn't been addressed as well, that actually the, those patients tend to not do as well. So my answer to you, and I guess for those who listen to with clinicians, would be treat both. Don't just like to think, oh, this patient's come with a referral for the hip and you've got to go and get an authorization code for your back because I can't see your back because we, or whatever, I won't kind of name drop. But, you know, like treat both, you know, these people, you know, there has a very close synergy between the, the back, the pelvis and the hip. Um, so it's important to be mindful of that. Now, if you've done that and the patient still isn't getting better or if you're a patient and you think, well, I've done all that stuff, man, man. you're boring me now. Like, give me something I didn't know. Well, actually... Don't write off the fact that a hip replacement is the last, the last call, you know, the end of the road. Hip replacements these days are not like the hip replacements they were 20 years ago. You know, hip replacements now last 20, 25 years. And that isn't for someone who's going to sit down on their ass and play chess or something like that. You know, these are people who are going hiking, cycling, some running as well. The hip survivorship from those who um, are active are far greater than they were beforehand. But the narrative is still there. The narrative is still, wait till your hip is worse, wait till your pain is worse, wait till you can't walk up the stairs. Well, I mean, crap advice really, isn't it? Because who the hell wants a hip when they're older, when they're not going to use it? So what, my hip, I'll have a new hip when, I, when I'm going to sit down more. But no, I want a hip now. Life's too short, you've got to live life now. And actually, if you can improve your hip function and pain by getting that hip replacement, as a result, then improving your back symptoms as well. And that in tow will help with your mental health because you can do all the stuff that you've not been able to do. Got it. Get your hip done. You know, just because it's a new hip and the spa looks big and it's a big procedure, you know, it's no, it's a, you could have three ACLs, four ACLs worth of hip replacements in the same time frame, you know. But, you know, people see ACLs and think, oh, you know, I just don't have it done. It's only going to be a year and a half or a year until I'm back. Like, you could literally have probably, I'd say, four. I'll be, I'll be, um, I'll go easy. I'll be kind of like you could have four hip replacements in that time potentially. You know, so people need to not write it off and equally so not be pushing it off if that's potentially an answer for them. Um, and look, it's not always the case. I'm not saying you get a hip replacement, everything's going to be hunky dory. So don't don't start emailing me once you've listened to this and have a hip replacement <laughs> result. Um, but you know, definitely positive option to have there yeah and it's one of sorry oh so it's a question of yeah you, you said it perfectly when do you want that 25 years if there's a 25 year lifespan on that component <clears throat> where where do you want the 25 do you want them right now or do you want them right at the end yeah yeah, and yeah you, exactly and 
I was going to say, people say all the time, you know, we've had this through patients who have come in and had a, had a total hip afterwards. And they say, I should have had this done five years ago. You know, and it's because they're out walking and hiking and climbing the stairs and they've got rid of that stair lift, which they installed in a house because they couldn't get up and down the stairs without pain. And, you know, and these are younger patients as well. So, and they said they're back out playing football, playing golf. They can now hit the golf ball 30 yards further than they could before because they can swing through the hips properly and they can rotate. And, you know, the the, the benefits are, are huge, you know, when it comes to this. Obviously, we're not pushing everyone to run out and get a hip replacement, but, you know, don't write it off as a... As a, as a as a last resort, and you know it's no, of course it's, not. It can be a real look, massive and, benefit. And look, think of it this way as well: if you've got a patient who has worsening symptoms over a long period of time, right, and then as a result, like I said, their mental health has had a hit because of the fact that they've been in pain for so long. Now, what we do know is those who have had hip surgeries or hip replacements. The ones who tend to not do as well or don't do as well as quick tends to be those with, you know, mental health factors, mental health history, anxiety, stress. You know, those are going to be higher in those who have had pain for a longer period of time as a result of their altered quality of life. So we could have someone who hadn't had that prior to this kind of referral or this kind of presentation. Well, actually, are we making it potentially worse for them in the long term, the longer we put it off as well? So, you know, there's loads of factors that fall into that, really. No, and that's something which people don't, wouldn't necessarily think about. They don't think about that huge knock-on effect of, oh, they're altering their movement. They're, they've got fear of certain movements because they're worried about their hip hurting. So then that knock-on effect of, I don't pick up the groceries anymore, so I'm not moving my back as much. I'm not bending. I'm not lifting. All the things which are so normal, and then there's that staggered knock-on effect of you know, which they may not, they might not have realised, you know. And so the the added benefits of something getting some treatment early or whatever it might be, only helps everything, which is what we're here for, really. <laughs> I think there's there's a, a bit of a temptation to stagnate slightly as well when you, when you, this this looming you know surgeries in the background, this sort of Damocles. I'll have to get surgery one day often means people just start tapering down as well you know um uh, like i said yeah uh we want people to get out there get walking again this sounds fantastic i want one i might have to have, to have a hip job yeah yeah i know to be fair i've told it quite well i mean you think that i was sponsored by striker or one of these kind of like top brands <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe i'll just be a rep on the side i'll probably make some more money but um and look that's the thing you know people like to go out and walk you just you hit the nail on the head there you know we what's our first thing for these patients where we're saying, you know, oh, you've got you've got mild away, you know, you you're, you can manage. We'll do X, Y, and Z. Go out and do some walking or do some gentle exercise. And actually, that's the one thing that because the hip position and the hip movement is altered. Well, that's exactly what we've kind of gone full circle. And now we're thinking, well, what do we say about the back being a secondary cause of the hip? Well, it's down to altered mechanics. And we're kind of telling them to exercise and go walking well then they're walking awkwardly because the hip hurts and then the back hurting as a result so you know we just need to be mindful of all these these kind of like caveats here and there and you know i think the the same message gets comes across in all of all of the guests and all the shows that we have it's it's the very similar message in, in the vast vast majority of our shows it's that it's empowering the patients to move to 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 change improve their function to get strong get resilient positive messaging all the things it comes across, whatever these conditions we're talking about, it's very similar for the vast majority of them. So I think that's a pretty good note to, to wrap up with really at the end is that it's get strong, get healthy, keep moving, you know, and again, just another guest repeating the same messages that we're all about, which is empowering our patients and making people feel better that way really, isn't it? And uh, so thank you for, for helping us to kind of spread, you know, this, the, the same positive, positive vibe to everyone, I guess. No worries. Well, look, thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to talk to you both.
the time flies, isn't it, when you go through these kind of topics. I mean, you could end up talking for, for hours and hours. But, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you both. And, you know, if anyone's listening to this, patient or clinician and even one person found it useful and being able to spread a positive narrative, uh, then, then obviously we've, we've done our job. Fantastic. Thank hopefully you. It'd be more than, obviously, hopefully it'd be yeah. more than one. <laughs> yeah. I'd hope so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope so. So thank you for joining us, firstly. And secondly, where can people go and find out more about you? either for patients or for clinicians. You know, I know that you've got lots of resources out there. So do you want to direct a few people to to where they can find you? Yeah, I mean, the easiest thing for any patient would be my website, which is thehipphysio.com. Um, and then for any clinicians listening, the, the best way, I mean, if you've got any questions regarding case studies, patients or yourself, obviously, if you're a clinician, um, you can contact me on Instagram, uh, which my handle is the.hip.physio. And on Twitter, it's just thehipphysio very original and luckily luckily it was all free so it messed up my my marketing toy but uh, yeah feel free to get in touch I'll kind of welcome any correspondence or anything like. fantastic and you, you have a course as well for clinicians um, for to, to educate themselves around the hip and groin as well yeah that's right yeah so it's called simplifying the hip so it's a one day uh, one day course via the uh, HBCM which is the health development and performance network uh, currently it's online and live so very lucky to, to kind of set that up we've got kind of attendees from all over the globe um, so if you can't make it obviously it's recorded but hopefully that'll be going face to face soon equally all information about that is on my website um, but yeah the hipphysio.com and I, I, I plugged that because I've done it and it was brilliant so yeah. that's why I <laughs> so that's why, that's why I made sure I wanted to make sure you got, got an opportunity to say that because I really enjoyed that so it was, a, it was a really good day for, for anyone who even thinks they're really good at hips already I would recommend doing it because it's uh, I, I learned an awful lot in a day so uh, so thank, thank you. you thank you yeah, for me for, for doing thank that you. No, no, thanks for plugging it. You've done me a favour. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, We've been Robert Day. This has been the Back Pain Podcast and everyone have a a lovely evening or a lovely rest of your bank holiday for listening to us then. All the best. Bye-bye. Over now. Fantastic. I enjoyed that one, Rob. That was brilliant. He was a fantastic guest. What a nice guy. Yeah, really much. Clearly knows his stuff. Again, it's... For all of you listening out there, it's the same messages. Now, the hope is not to just be super boring that you're hearing the same things over time. The hope is that we're drilling in the positivity of there are other ways, other diagnosticians, other therapists, if you are not getting the the result or the outcome that you're satisfied with. It does not mean you're at the end of the line. It doesn't mean that necessarily you have to um, uh, stop or live with it or just manage or cope. It means that there are other ways and other people out there to possibly help you push forwards. Something which keeps coming up as well is the idea um, of MRIs. We've talked quite a few times on this podcast with different um, uh, different practitioners and different people about the overuse of MRIs in culture and how actually it's not the MRI itself, it's the actual reporting on that MRI and how that is reported to the patient, to you guys. That's really important. So rather than just having an MRI and being flung the report, which might have quite a few bits of complex medical jargon in or um, uh, an over-reported pieces of um, unrelated anatomy, so like we said about the, the opposite side having some digestion generative changes that's not necessarily going to help you because if you're not getting pain from that side currently it's not really um 
uh, a relevant piece of material. I suppose it can be nice to know, but it might make you hypersensitive, hyper aware, and then reluctant to use that other side. It should almost be the opposite. You should be using that, creating bone density, keeping um, joint surfaces and articular structures. So this is all the muscles, giblets, um, and uh, uh, giblets, <laughs> all the bits surrounding that joint, happy, strong, and working for as long as humanly possible. It's often when you take your foot off the gas when you stop using an area because you've been told oh by the way that other knee or that other hip has some degenerative changes in as well if you stop using it you'll probably find those degenerative changes start popping up a hell of a lot quicker yeah and i think an important point is what he said what Mehmet said about the radiologist who's the person the specialist doctor who sits there and looks at scans all day and writes the report you know that's his job is to write everything that he sees on a scan he's not seeing the patient so he's not seeing you in front of him you know and having your your assessment your exam findings everything he's literally looking at one picture and telling you what's on that picture he's not telling you what the cause of the pain is he's telling you what is on that picture it's up to the clinician to then use that data and compare that with your exam findings and your medical history and your presenting complaints and all the things that you've spoken to them about to to come up with with the problem so you know there could be 15 different things on a scan that potentially could be a cause of a, of some pain there could be 15 things which also are currently not the cause of any pain at all so that's what clinicians are for is to decide which one of those is the most relevant and is most likely to cause your pain so being texted mri results and having copies of the reports although i can totally understand why people want that because people want to understand what's going on you know, it's not always the most helpful thing to have, you know, in the same way, like a blood test, you know, you wouldn't necessarily need to see all the blood results and go away and look up all the blood test markers, mm. you know, some sort some people would, but it's the interpretation of them that's so important using all the other medical history, the information that people have to hand to make the best clinical judgment, isn't it? But it's, as I said, it's these same messages that come up again and again and again in nearly, oh, is this episode 52? My goodness, this episode, episode 52. 52. Here we are, guys. Yeah, this is episode 52. So the same message has come up, you know, for an entire year, the same messages <laughs> have come out. So, so I hope we're not too boring. But <laughs> This is it. And uh, we, we talked a bit about tests earlier and how... Um, uh, every test doesn't work for every people due to anatomical variances, uh, different um, limberness. You know, if you're really stretchy, if you're really um, uh, mobile as a person comparative to someone who's very stiff and very tight, your test results manually, your manual orthopedic test results might be different and therefore the test might not work, quote unquote, with you. This is one piece of information that your diagnostician or your practitioner is going to use to diagnose you. Just like the MRI result or the scan result or the x-ray or the blood test result is one piece of information that goes to create that overall puzzle at the end. Um, so yeah, if, if you get that MRI, x-ray, uh, scan results through and you're not sure of it, take it to that next stage. That's not the end of it. That's simply the next step to go back to your practitioner and discuss your pathway. Yeah. Yeah, and ideally the person that has your medical history and mm. your exam results as well, not just, you know, someone online. Absolutely, yeah. Leave Google out of it just so you've talked to the first person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, Google Google's notorious for probably causing more problems than 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 results. Not always, but occasionally. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, thanks again everyone for listening. That's been episode 52 an entire year of the back Pain podcast so thank you everyone who's stuck around and listened for the last year it's been brilliant i've enjoyed the ride absolutely what a year what a year it's been awesome we'll see you for number 53 all the best